For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Mark Schaefer, and we're going to explore the future of social marketing. By the way, Want to reach me? You can email a podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com or you can find me over on Instagram. I'm at Stelzner. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And lastly, are you on Clubhouse? Are you following the Social Media Examiner Club? Check it out. I am also at Stelzner on Clubhouse. We are producing original content live and you don't want to miss it. So check us out over on Clubhouse. By the way, Do you want more Google traffic? Are you struggling to rank and not sure what to do about it? Is the idea of hiring an SEO agency outside your budget? There is a better way. It's called Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, and it's free. This amazing resource will audit your website and prioritize the needed changes to improve your search rankings. Imagine what you could achieve as more traffic starts coming in. Beyond more leads and sales, Ahrefs Webmaster Tools helps you analyze backlinks from other sites and find important people who referenced your content. That could lead to future partners and collaborations. If the idea of getting Google to work for you sounds confusing, Ahrefs also offers helpful tutorials on search engine optimization. Isn't it time you started getting more search traffic? Visit ahrefs.com slash webmaster tools and get this free tool working for you today. Find the link by scrolling up in your podcast player. Again, visit ahrefs.com slash webmaster tools. By checking out our sponsors, you support this show. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Mark Schaefer. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Mark Schaefer. If you don't know who Mark is, you need to know who Mark is. He's a futurist and a social strategist. He's the author of multiple books, including The Marketing Rebellion, known. He's also the host of The Marketing Companion Show. His newest book is called Cumulative Advantage, Building Momentum for Your Ideas, Business, and Life Against All Odds. Mark, welcome back to the show. Michael, this has been on my calendar for a while, and I just have been looking at that date with such excitement and anticipation. I always love talking to you. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Today, Mark and I are going to explore social media marketing trends, and there's a lot for us to talk about and how we as marketers should prepare for an ever-changing world that is in front of us. 
So Mark, let's start with content. There's been a lot happening in the content world. What are some of the big trends that you see going on? Well, Mike, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is <laughs> marketing today really gets down to one question. How can we be heard? And it's getting increasingly difficult. You know, I've been teaching digital marketing at Rutgers University for 12 years now. And in the early days when I was teaching about social media and content, probably one of the first university classes in the country, I want to say, I would teach this little model and I would say to get to create content that can stand out, it should be R-I-T-E, right, R-I-T-E, R, relevant, I, interesting, T, timely, and E, entertaining. And then around 2015, I realized that's not even enough. If you do your best and follow all the rules, you also have to be superior. So I added an S. Even if you're relevant, interesting, timely, entertaining, you still have to be the best in your niche or people will abandon you for mm -hmm. whoever's better. And now I'm looking at the amazing content being out there that's, that's being created out there today. And I think that even beyond that, we need something else. Even being great isn't enough anymore. We need to learn how to build momentum. And that's, you mentioned, I have this new book out, Cumulative Advantage. And that's what that is really about, because I think that is the central issue, the central issue now and into the future with content is how do we become the signal instead of the noise? And I know that's, that's really on your heart too. So what do you mean by momentum? Tell me a little bit more, like help me wrap my brain around. What does that mean? I get that content needs to be great and all those other things that you talked about and superior, but what, what do you mean by momentum? Well, I'll give you a little example. You know, this whole idea of this overwhelming information density. I first wrote about this in 2014. I wrote this blog post that you probably remember called Content Shock. Content Shock. Yeah. It was the biggest post I ever wrote. It was shared thousands of times. It was by thousands of comments. And a few weeks after I wrote this thing, Mike, I Googled it to see uh, what else is going on out there. And if you can imagine, maybe three, four weeks after I wrote this thing, I was third in the search results. <laughs> it was my idea. There was no SEO for content shock. And it, it just went to show that sometimes the most powerful content doesn't move. The most powerful websites do. And in many ways, both large and small, the odds are stacked against us. That's why I have in this book, Against All Odds, because what you start to realize is there are a lot of things that we have to battle to overcome that. So what this book is about is if you don't have those advantages, if you don't have millions of dollars, if you don't have this powerful website, if you don't have a PhD from Harvard, how can you build your own momentum? And it's based on research that started in the 1960s, very famous research in the field of sociology that nobody's ever heard about, Mike, because let's face it, who can name any famous sociology research? Right, right. <laughs> And so this is well-known research, but it's never been applied to our lives and our business and social media before. And so that's what I do in, in this book. And there's, there's kind of a simple path of five things. 
I, you know, I know we have a lot to talk about today, so I don't want to dwell on that. Well, yeah, we're, we're going to get into the essence of the book. Yeah. I want to get back to this concept of content and really the trends that you see going on right now. You said that obviously it's really, really hard to stand out. I'm with you 100%. For example, I'll tell yeah. a little story. We wrote a really definitive article. First, I wrote an article on Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my blog is one of the biggest blogs out there in the marketing world. Mm -hmm. And I ranked for a few days, right? And then all yeah. of a sudden, somebody else wrote it, a bigger publication wrote about Clubhouse. So then we wrote a really detailed article and we were able to ride the number one slot for about a month. But then, believe it or not, all these other much bigger publications started writing yeah. about it. And we just got pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. And I realized that's a tough battle to win, even if you're someone like me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who has a huge yeah. audience. And you know, some of the trends, well, some of the trends with Google and search right. are being stacked against us. Some of the things that are happening with Apple and privacy. I mean, I think they need to happen. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong, but again, to, to, to stand out with your social advertising, it's going to become more challenging. And so right. we need to be thinking in new ways. Talk to me about some of the disruptive trends going on in content, you know, like Clubhouse, Substack, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Well, don't you think it's interesting, Mike, that a lot of this disruption is happening with with written content? A lot of people think blogging is old fashioned, but really starting with medium, let's start with medium was sort of you know, this disruption in blogging. And then on top of medium, here comes what? Substack. Tell everybody what that is because not everybody knows what that is. Yeah. Well, medium was actually started by Jack Dorsey with the, who founded Twitter. And it was sort of a new platform for blogging. And it was an opportunity to, to monetize. They created this fund and you could make money. And some people made pretty decent money on Medium, actually. And that became the cool thing. But the now, different Substack comes in and here's the difference. In Medium, you don't own the audience. In Substack, you do. When someone starts to sign up, you see who your audience is. You get their email. And so they have this new level of transparency. Now, We've got review. Twitter just bought uh, review, another blogging site. And what Twitter is saying, oh, this is going to help you monetize. And their point of differentiation is we'll help you build your audience faster because we're Twitter. And I also don't want to overlook LinkedIn newsletters. LinkedIn newsletters, they're hot. <laughs> They've got some great people creating content. Take a fellow like, you know, Martin Lindstrom, who has an amazing global audience. Do they pay the writers? How does that work? Because I keep seeing those LinkedIn newsletter things whenever I logged into LinkedIn and they keep telling me I should, you know, click a button or whatever. How does that work? Do you know? Well, the problem that LinkedIn newsletters has been trying to solve is LinkedIn, of course, is owned by Microsoft and Microsoft hasn't been all that happy with LinkedIn because they're trying to figure out how do we monetize this thing. And it's hard to monetize because a lot of people don't hang out on LinkedIn. They go there when they want to find a job or they want to find some information. But what they're trying to do is make content really elevate content. So on an invitation only sort of basis, and look, I haven't been invited and I've tried. <laughs> They've attracted some good thought leaders there to create these newsletters to create more traction and make LinkedIn more of a destination. 
Do they deliver the content to the inbox? Yes, right to the inbox. Yeah, right. Yeah. But is it all of the content or is it just a preview and you got to go back to LinkedIn to read it? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to think of the newsletters that I get. I think you do have to go back to LinkedIn to read it, which again, sort of helps solve their problem. So anyway, I think the general idea here is, I think this is quite fascinating, Mike, that there's a lot of attention on written content right now, which I've always thought has been interesting. And you and I have had that conversation before that there are a certain group of people that just love to read. They're always going to love to read and blogging and blog posts are only going to go away when people stop reading. And really fascinating something about this Substack thing is it's a disintermediation technology, right? Because traditionally these journalists have written for bigger publications and the publication owned the distribution. But with yes. Substack, the distribution is owned, is my understanding, by the writer and people have the option just like they do when they're crowdfunding mm -hmm. something to pay a little bit more to get exclusive content and that revenue, most of it, goes back to the writer and that allows direct, if you will, opportunities mm -hmm. with content direct to consumer bypassing kind of these traditional intermediaries. And that's a fascinating trend, don't you think? It is. And, and let me tell you another little thing that we're going to be seeing here. And this goes very well with our discussion about the future of social media and the future of content. One of the biggest things every social media manager is going to be facing in the next couple of years is this idea of synthetic content. So the, the technologies are out there today where people can create Hollywood quality videos that are fake. It's going to be fake news. It's going to be fake interviews. There's going to be positive opportunities for that because it's going to unleash new creative capabilities. But of course, you can imagine some of the negatives too. Now, that's where it's important to have these reliable sources, these reliable newsletters, thought leaders, journalists, where you know this is a real person. So there's another sort of uh, future trend here that I think is important. Establishing a source of authority is going to be very important because if you think the world of fake news is bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. In the next three to five years, it's going to be out of control. Well, and let's talk about audio content disruption. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about your, your view on Clubhouse and what that could mean. Well, it's so interesting. It's so exciting because I don't know about you. I know you're a big fan of Clubhouse, but the thing that, that energizes me about Clubhouse is it sort of has re-energized the whole idea of social media, I think. You know, when was the last time we had this sort of energy about a new platform? It's 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 been a long time. Even like TikTok. It's like TikTok. Well, you know, that's still that's kind of for the kids. You gotta dance to be on TikTok, right? But you don't have to dance to be on Clubhouse. You can really be anybody talking about anything. And so I I love this idea and I love this energy. And I, here's something I want to suggest to your wonderful audience around how this ties to the future, because we're talking about future trends here. Think about how social media platforms are fragmenting in, in two different ways. Number one, they're fragmenting by demographics. So the only demographic really growing on Facebook is 55 and over. Everybody loves YouTube and Instagram. 18 to 35 is kind of Snapchat below 18 is sort of TikTok. And as the younger people come up, they're going to look at TikTok and say, no, my older brother and sister is there. I need something new. So here's a prediction. Social media will, will fragment again to serve the younger people below 
Gen Z who love TikTok. So that's one way social media will grow and continue to fragment. Clubhouse represents another way. There are a lot of platforms on on social media that basically replicate traditional media. And we haven't had anything that replicates talk radio. We thought we did with podcasts, but we really didn't because basically it wasn't talk radio. It was us talking (laughs) and the audience just kind of listened. But now a lot of people love talk radio and now we've got talk radio. So another thing to think about the future, what are some other traditional communication platforms that really haven't been replicated yet on social media? Those could be opportunities for innovation and disruption. But I love Clubhouse because it really just has such an amazing sense of freshness and energy. And it, it, it's, it's sort of the way social media started out where Anybody can be a star. Anybody can have their own show. And we're seeing that for the first time in a long time on Clubhouse. And it's fascinating because, you know, I think you and I would honestly say there's no way anybody is going to be able to disrupt Facebook or Twitter. I mean, we just didn't right. feel that way a couple of years Can't ago. Happen. But Can't now happen. now we're seeing all these new models and they're growing yeah. very, very fast. Clubhouse has a $1 billion valuation today. Yeah. And they're in not even year, a year old. One, one year. Yeah. yeah, one billion less than a year. And they only started in March. So, um, you know, it just goes to show you that there are things that people are getting creative with. And what's unique about Clubhouse is the fact that it's purely audio and it has a social component to it. It's just it's just taking something, like you said, talk radio, but the ability to click on people's heads, see their bios, and and decide if you want to bring them up or not. It's, it's just really fascinating. So l- let's talk about also what's changing with distribution and eyeballs, right? Because you mentioned earlier, and everybody who's listening, this is what we all want as marketers, right? We all want to essentially have our message be heard or seen. We want to be heard. Right. But, but it's That's getting everything. harder now because of algorithms and stuff. Right. So what, what are the trends that you see going on? Well, I think obviously the biggest thing is just the volume of content. The volume of content is pressing down on everyone. And, and sort of the model that I point to is, as you think about the early days of television, anybody could go down to the TV station and create content. And anyone could advertise. And look where we are today. To stand out on television, you've got to be Game of Thrones or you've got to be the Mandalorian. And there is no advertising. So you kind of can see that. Now think about any social media channel, Facebook, Twitter, you know, YouTube. I love that. We're moving away from an advertising age, aren't we? We are because people don't want it. So if you look at what has happened in television, it's become saturated and it costs more to play in the television game. It's just exactly what we talked about. Even great isn't enough. If you're in television, being great isn't enough. That's the way it's going to be on Facebook, YouTube. Hey, the top earner on YouTube last year, Mr. Beast, right? Makes tens of millions of dollars on YouTube. On average, Mike, he spends $300,000 to produce one of his videos. He spent as much as a million dollars, right? 
So even great isn't enough. Look what he's doing. He's becoming like the Mandalorian of, of influencers. He's spending more and more and more, and that's just not accessible to a lot of people. So we're going to have to find different ways to compete and really get around these algorithms. One of the things I think around distribution that you and I have been talking about for a long time is owning your audience, owning your list. Here's another old-fashioned technology, email owning the email list. You're not going to be able to count on SEO. You're not going to be able to count on search or Facebook or a lot of these platforms like you used to. Uh, We had this big crisis. You talk about content and distribution. This was a little thing that affected a lot of people when Facebook eliminated Facebook notes. People were coming to me in a panic saying, I built my, all my, all my content is on Facebook notes and it's gone. Well, You've got to have a homeroom for your content, whatever kind of content you create, and you've got to own that mailing list. You've got to own that audience. You can't abdicate that to somebody else. Do you think the pendulum is swinging back? The pendulum is kind of swinging in the opposite direction because, Mark, I mean, so many of our friends and maybe even you five or six years ago were, were like, why would you build your own thing when you can join Main Street, right? That was kind of the argument five to 10 years ago, right? Like, you could try to build your own platform and own your own audience, or you could just join Facebook because everybody's there. That was kind of the prevailing message. Now I think we're in an era where like, okay, we've done that and we don't get hardly, we're lucky if we get a couple percentage points of our audience, right? On right, Facebook right. or any of these platforms seeing mm-hmm. our stuff. And we've accepted that as an acceptable reality. But the pendulum is now swinging back. And especially because so many people are, you know, concerned about um, privacy or they're concerned about uh, voices being canceled, if you will, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, YouTube can shut you down if for whatever reason you post a video they don't like and you're you're done. You know what I mean? And yeah. you are at the mercy of these platforms. And wasn't there something going on with Australia too recently? Yeah. And I, I wanted to be clear about something because I've always been an advocate of having an archive, a homeroom for your content and building your list. But what you might be referring to is I was also an advocate of publish everywhere. Right. Because go, you know, just go to the path of least resistance. If people are consuming your content on Facebook, then what the heck? Publish on Facebook. So now let's talk about what's going on in Australia. And uh, this is really interesting because this started two and a half years ago, I believe in Germany, where the German government, and, and, and it's like, thank goodness for Germany in some ways, because they're always waving the flag saying, hey, wait a minute, have you thought about the citizens and what they think about this? So thank goodness for Germany and other countries that are willing to sort of like say, what's going on with these tech platforms? We're now seeing this in Australia where they're saying, hey, no, no, wait a minute. Your monetization model is based on people sharing content from these news sources and the news sources are going broke because they're getting your content for free somewhere else. But we really need these journalists. We need that. Oh yeah. And they were told to publish on the platform. That was the key part of it, right? And here's something that's interesting. I was actually in those meetings between, I was invited to this thing. Who knows how I got there? It It was at Columbia University and I sat there where Facebook was there. We had people there from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and all these magazines in New York. And Facebook was saying, 
oh, you know, you've got to publish here because, oh, we're going to create so many subscribers for you. And the people from the news sources are sitting there thinking, yeah, right. It was a very tense meeting. Very, very tense meeting. Six months later, Mike, Facebook pulled the rug out from under them and said, oh, no, we don't want you to publish here because we don't want Facebook to be thought of as a news publisher. They saw the writing on the wall and all the lawsuits and regulatory issues, which we'll probably get to in a minute. Now, what Australia is doing and what other countries are doing, I think I read that there are something like 78 different countries suing Facebook right now. I think 46 states are suing Facebook right now. So business opportunity, everyone, become a lawyer (laughs) specializing in social media. What is their claim? What's the issue? Well, the issues are various in the different states, but what Australia is doing is saying you are destroying the free press because they can't make money on this content that's being shared. And and what they're saying to Facebook, and they're also saying to Google, is that if these stories are the backbone or if you're monetizing different channels based on our news and our content, you need to pay us something. And really, it's something we take for granted today that we just get all this information for free. But if you go back to the beginning and thought, okay, we're going to create a social network and oh my gosh, if we share all this content for free, that means these these journalists are going to go out of business. We probably wouldn't want that to happen. But that has been an unintended consequence. And most newspapers have either died or they're dying with a few exceptions, like the New York Times, which just just announced, I think, two or three months ago that they now have more digital subscriptions than paper subscriptions. So yes, yay for them. But that isn't happening. Most newspapers, most journalistic organizations are dying. And Facebook threatened to pull out of Australia completely, right? That was their, they said, we will just not have an app in Australia. You talk about a shocker. Yeah. (laughs) It shows you what's at stake. And this is what's really fascinating, right? TikTok pays creators. YouTube pays creators. Yeah. Facebook used to pay creators if you were lucky enough to be one of those, but they generally don't. Right. That's a fascinating trend. And it just goes to show you how much power that these platforms Mm -hmm. have and how they've kind of unfortunately lured us into this cave. And it appears as if we're stuck, but, you know, I think people are waking up to this. And and that's why I think you're going to see a lot of new stuff coming. Yeah. If you think about where the power is today, right. you know, we, we talk about these influencers, but really to a large extent, they're creators and they're entertainers. And that is really where the power is today. So, you know, just to take your argument even further, I mean, LinkedIn is paying creators and Medium is paying creators and Substack is paying creators. So that is the trend. And, and Facebook is trying to hold on Maybe they can and maybe they can't. We'll see. That is definitely going to be a disruption. And I know we've still got a lot of things to talk about, but this is another big mega trend. It's this idea of regulation and maybe even breaking up some of these social media channels. And this is a big question mark in our future for everyone who loves social media. And it makes me really a little unsettled. Usually what I'm good at is predicting what's going to be next. I have a good track record. In social media, it's hazy because we don't know what's going to happen with these new regulations that are going to happen uh, in America, you know, now that the election is behind us, possibly the lawsuits 
in the, in the investigations around privacy and monopolistic behavior, there are going to be changes. There are bipartisan agreements that changes need to be made. What is the, how's that going to impact us as, as marketers? It remains to be seen. Well, I am an optimist and I believe change is always good and competition is always good. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to lead to opportunity. I agree with you 100%. But the key thing here is everybody listening right now, it's really important that you figure out a way to either get email addresses or get phone numbers. And we should probably talk about community a little bit. Have you had a chance to look into community at all? Do you know what it is? Yes, I do. I haven't activated it myself, but I know a lot of people who have. Yeah. And it's whether you use community or any other SMS based system, the idea is there's really two unique identifiers for every human, right? And it's their phone number and their email address, right? And generally we have an email address. It doesn't change very much. We have a phone number. It doesn't change very much. And if you can figure out how to get, you know, and you think about it, it's either your phone number or your email address that allows you to create a Facebook account and every other one of these kind of platforms. So, um, you know, the don't build your house on rented land thing that I've been preaching for well over a decade and probably Mark has too. You know, you just got to make sure you've got some way to grow some sort of a communication channel that you have control over so that when things get restricted, right, or changed, you can direct them into the next best thing. By the way, I, I want to spend a few minutes talking about Twitter because there's been some fascinating changes, acquisitions going on with Twitter. They've acquired a review, which you mentioned, which is a newsletter based service and breaker mm -hmm. and squad. And they've also got this new thing called spaces. And, you know, I don't know if you've had a chance to check all this stuff out, but what do you think is going on with Twitter? Because it seems like there's some change afoot. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Cause you know that I love Twitter. Right. And I think Twitter's fatal flaw, the thing that has always plagued Twitter is they don't really know who they are. <laughs> and they've been in this constant state of evolving into something else that has generally been re re rejected by their customers. So just to give you an example, I mean, Twitter is the greatest sort of self-created or consumer-created platform. All the greatest things on Twitter were created by the users. I mean, hashtags were invented by a user. Twitter chats were invented by the people. And, and Twitter has continued to evolve and innovate, but they always seem to be a little too late. And even that we talked briefly about review. So they want to get into longer form content and publishing, but they're saying, okay, you have a, a for-profit newsletter, a paid subscription will help you grow your audience. So, and then we're going to take a percentage of that. Now, Mike, you and I know, how hard is it to have a paid audience for any kind of content on social media? It's almost impossible. I'm with you, but this is a competitor to Substack, right? And review. I don't only, know. I just don't it think is. they're going to be It is, and they, they only take 5% which barely covers the credit card transaction fees. And I think the angle here is that, hey, so many journalists and so many writers have built a big following on Twitter because that's where so many of us started, right? And if this tool allows you to own your list, which they're claiming it does, mm -hmm. it could kind of be Twitter's, hey, we're going to put a foot in the camp of, you know, because Twitter, you don't own your following on Twitter, but with review, if you own your following and it becomes a little bit like a hybrid version of medium, right? Where it's, it's leveraging the power of Twitter, but also leveraging the power of email. 
I find it kind of fascinating. And then when you you take Breaker into this and Squad and Breaker are fascinating because Breaker is a podcasting kind of app that is that mm-hmm. I think they acquired for the talent. Mm-hmm. And Squad is a screen sharing app, text, video, and screen sharing app, mostly used by by teens. And then Spaces is Twitter's competition with with Clubhouse. So mm-hmm. it seems to me as if maybe they've taken a look back at their history and say, hey, you know that Vine acquisition? We shouldn't have shut that thing down, right? That might be true. But here's the thing that bothers me about all this, Mike, is this is what I often tell people. So someone might sign up for one of my coaching calls or something and they say, oh, I've got an idea. We're going to be the next Twitter. Wait a minute. We already have a Twitter. It works just fine. If, if someone says they're going to be the next Facebook or they're going to be the next Twitter, run away. We already have podcasting and podcasting platforms. We already have blogging platforms. If I've got an audience that I can monetize, it's not clear to me why I need Twitter. So that's my skepticism about this. And I always hold out the possibility that I could be wrong. But my skepticism about this is that Twitter is just too late to some of these things. They're making these acquisitions and, you know, I just don't know. Here's my take on what I think this could mean. I think Twitter is beginning to realize that it's not going to be Facebook. It's not going to be LinkedIn. It's going to have to be something different. Mm -hmm. And if you look at them, they don't even categorize themselves in the uh, social media category. They put themselves in the news category, right? Yeah. So if you think about this spaces and this audio news, maybe, you know, a live audio, social audio stuff that they're trying to replicate and maybe acquiring this talent is mostly to build out this spaces thing. And then you think about this newsletter thing. Maybe there is some sort of a, we're going to try to be audio and written a longer form content, right? Instead of just the we're, our legacy is short form content. And we're used to sending people off platform, right? Now, what if we can create long form content that lives on platform in the case of newsletters or in the case of audio? This could be their way to try to maybe play a content play here. What's your thoughts on that? There are already places for long form content. So Twitter, what is Twitter about? What it's always been about? What's happening now is where news breaks. So it's great to go on Twitter and say, what's this hashtag? What does this mean? Da, 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 da. And sometimes I'll follow a hashtag. And by the time I get there, you've got all these copycats who are just using the hashtag and you can't really tell what's going on. So if Twitter is about what's happening now, where news breaks, how do you be better at that? Just go with that, Twitter. There's lots and lots of ways they can improve that capability. And that's what people love about it. That's what Twitter is about. So I'm just really suspending my judgment right now. I want to see what they do with these things. But to me, they're just not focused on what their core competency is. News breaks here. That's why people go to Twitter. That's why they're addicted to Twitter. How do you help people go down the rabbit hole of breaking news with with people that are on the ground right now instead of, you know, being a new blogging platform? Just don't get it. But I'm willing to see what happens. I hear you, but I am optimistic for the first time in a long time that there could be some exciting things finally coming to Twitter because let's be honest, Facebook and LinkedIn and so many of these other platforms have kind of like overtaken Twitter as one of the top social platforms that people think about, you know? So I'm optimistic they'll figure it out. They are a public company. They, they're making money. Maybe something fascinating will come. Let's see where it goes. But, but, but I'm also like you, 
I'm not super optimistic, but <laughs> it's about time is my philosophy with, with that. And Twitter has made a lot of progress. I remember, I believe it was the end of 2017 or maybe the 20, end of 2018, I was on your show and I predicted that there would be a renaissance in Twitter yeah. and boom. What happened? Record earnings, record new users, record time on site, new advertising platforms. So they have made progress. They are doing better. And now it's like, okay, what's next? And, you know, I just don't, I don't know. They're spending a lot of money and I, you know, we'll just have to see. You'll have to have me on in a year and we'll say, did Twitter work? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's going to be an exciting future for sure. So we've talked about um, content, we've talked about distribution, we've talked a little bit about Twitter. Let's talk about influencers a little bit. Where do you think the world of influencers is going? Oh, it's so exciting, so exciting. I am a big advocate. I think influence marketing is just beginning. It's just beginning. And the reason why a lot of people are negative about influence marketing, I think, is because they dwell on the silly things and the bad things and the corruption that has happened. But look, you know, corruption can happen anywhere. There's corruption in SEO, right? There's corruption in digital advertising. So there's corruption that can happen anywhere. But if you think about, let's connect the dots with what we talked about early in the program, where a lot of the traditional advertising and marketing programs uh, platforms are, are are going away. People can't advertise on TV like they used to or on radio like they used to. So where are you going to go? The second fastest growing line item on the CMO budget right now is influence marketing. The fastest growing is content. Wait, is it content or, or influence? You said both of them. Are they both? No, content is number one. Oh. Okay. Influence is number two. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, influence is second only to content. I'm sorry if I if Okay, I no, cool. That. Keep going. Yeah. And the reason is, is because these companies and these brands, they still have a lot of money, but they don't have the same places to spend it. So they need to find places to spend it. Do you really think they're, they're still trying to spend their budgets or do you feel like they're just scaling their budgets back now that they're not able to do the traditional kinds of stuff? A little bit of both. Okay. And part of that is because of the pandemic. A lot of big brands said, we don't even know what to say right now. Got it. We don't even know what to do. So I know a lot of big companies that just stopped because they didn't know what to do. But I think that's a short-term thing. Got it. Spending on digital continues to go up, 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 up. Spending on traditional continues to go down. And I think influence marketing is also going to have a bigger role. Now, Spending on digital advertising is going to go up. It's going to continue to go up. But guess what? There's a limit to that. When you go on Instagram, you only can see so many ads before it gets annoying. So there's a certain amount of inventory available. There's a pulse to advertising that's acceptable to people. You can't go above that limit. So as the demand for that pulse goes up, the cost is going to go up because the available inventory is relatively stationary. As the cost of that goes up, people are going to be looking for other things. Influence marketing is going to continue to grow, but there are going to be some changes. One of the big changes I think I see, and I already see this happening, is a move away from this celebrity type of, of influencer where you have a long-term relationship with people where you just kind of come alongside people for a moment in their lives. You hope they create some content. And we see this 
in being called what micro influencers or nano influencers. I tend to think of this as really organic advocates. These are people who don't necessarily want to be paid for what they do, but they want access to something. They want to see something cool. Maybe they get some gear. Maybe they get some merchandise. That is really where a lot of the focus is today. And there are even agencies that are springing up now, 100% focused on building this team of micro-influencers, people with an audience of 10,000 people or more, but they can really impact sales because they're trusted, they're experts, they're a friend. And so I think that is a really exciting trend for me. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about some of the forms of content that tend to be long tail content, stuff that sticks around like YouTube content and podcasting content. Mm -hmm. It's my guess that you've got really smart individuals, maybe working for agencies that are out there looking at the data and saying, okay, this topic is going to be hot in six months or Mm -hmm. this creator is on a trajectory and they don't even know it. And they probably lock in deals with these creators as they're growing right? When they're small, knowing full well that they're in with them as they grow. Do you think that's a strategy that's going on right now? 100%. There's even an agency, I believe they're in Cincinnati, that's almost created like an influencer university where they identify these people early in their careers and then train them and build them and help them create their audience. And represent them potentially? And represent them. And then they kind of move up the chain and they get bigger and bigger rewards and bigger, bigger contracts. So that's exactly what's happening. A lot of these, and watch this as a trend. You know, the advertising model is really being diminished in a lot of ways. So the big traditional advertising agencies are moving into this space. They're becoming talent agencies. They're moving, they're becoming talent agencies. If they can control these influencers, they're going to control the power in a lot of ways because there's only so many of these influencers to go around. And by the way, this is also becoming very sophisticated and very prevalent in B2B. This is not just a B2C thing. Companies like Dell and SAP and a lot of the big tech companies, Microsoft is another example. They're becoming very, very sophisticated with their influence marketing programs. Again, growing uh, in their budgets, in their staff, very sophisticated in, in how they're doing things. So this is not just a B2C trend, it's a B2B trend, and it's just beginning. It's just beginning. Tell us a little bit more about Cumulative Advantage, your new book. If people want to go grab it, you know, who's it for? What will they discover? Well, the thing that I'm so excited about, Michael, is that People are already starting to get it. They're already starting to read it. And here's the impact they're saying. I read the first chapter. I couldn't put it down. This is the first time I ever sat down and read a book all the way through. And then I stayed up all night thinking about it because you gave me so much to think about. It really sort of spins the world in a different way. I think what I predict is that when people read this book, they'll never see the world again. They'll never see the world the same way again, as sort of like open up these new ways to think about how we build momentum, how we have success. And the thing that I want to 
leave with everybody is that this is a book of hope. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have a PhD to achieve these things. The ideas in this book are doable. They're achievable. They're accessible by anyone. Where you have been in your life, where you are now does not have to determine where you go next. You can change your narrative. You can create momentum. And that's what this book is going to achieve. Mark Schaefer, where do we get the book Cumulative Advantage and where do people discover more about you? You can find everything about me at businessesgrow.com. That's easy to remember. Knowing how to spell Schaefer is not easy to remember, (laughs) but if you can remember Businesses Grow, you can find my blog, my podcast, my books, and all of my books are available on Amazon, paper, hardback, Kindle, and I narrate my own audio version. That is so cool. I never got a chance to do that with my books. Mark Schaefer, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. It's been an honor, Michael. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Hey, if there was anything we mentioned and you missed it, you can find the notes over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 448. And if you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button if you've been a longtime listener. Would you let your friends know about the show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. And by the way, don't forget to check me out on Clubhouse as well. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.